Oh, friends, would you pray with me and we will study the word together. Gracious God, thank you for this good opportunity. Help us to have an honest discussion about whether we're actually going to do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, over in Chesapeake, Virginia, they have issued a legal mandate that determines the exact moment when childhood ends. Legally, in Chesapeake, Virginia, it ends at age 12. Local law states that trick-or-treaters older than 12 can be charged with a misdemeanor offense. And any teen who is guilty of this offense, now remember, we'd be talking about 13-year-olds here, unemployed 13-year-olds, can be required to pay a fine of $25 to $100 and spend up to six months in jail or both just for trick-or-treating. However, there is a small loophole to this. You can be 13 and trick-or-treat only if you are going in a supervisory capacity with a younger sibling. Otherwise, your childhood is officially over. Is that really true, though? There, there are all kinds of thoughts about when childhood and adolescence ends and, and one, when one is actually considered an adult. For the most part, 18 is what we consider adulthood, at least on paper, because you can vote, you have some kind of legal standing. But then again, you need to be 21 to drink in the States. And, and then beyond that, some researchers suggest that more and more young people won't actually really reach adulthood until they are in their early to mid-30s. Right? That's a pretty broad range. And I think the problem, I think the problem that we're having is, is that we are confusing growing old with growing up. Just because we age chronologically doesn't mean that we are necessarily mature. In fact, when you look at the definition of mature, you have to go three or four bullet points down before they mention anything related to a specific age. And even then, it's this nebulous word of middle age, whatever that is. So when we talk about maturing in Christ, we're not, we're not talking about a specific age. And I think that's a problem that, that churches struggle with. Uh, especially when you have the, uh, this concept of confirmation or, or first communion, that, okay, we've hit a certain age, we are now mature in Christ, we are good to go, graduate and move on. But that's not actually how it works. What we're talking about when we talk about spiritual maturity is growing into a deeper relationship with Jesus that in turn helps us to develop a robust and thriving faith. So as we've been talking about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple, those marks, we've, we've talked about how disciples are members, that they are people who magnify what God is doing in their life and through their work are ministers out in the world. If you remember when I started this series, I explained that, the, that being a disciple is a progressive effort. And oftentimes it involves moving forward, sometimes it involves falling back, but it is something that does have a movement and a progression to it. And it takes time. It's not something that you can just start on one day and be done 
by the evening. So the next level of being a disciple is someone who is maturing in their faith. So a couple weeks ago, I got to be in Miss Darcy's toddler class. This is the most fun class in the whole church. These are our one, two, and three-year-olds. And when I walked in, Darcy was just finishing the story about how God made a rainbow, and the little ones were making rainbows with their handprints. So when I asked one of them what they were doing, he told me that God made rainbows. God made rainbows. This is an absolute truth and a totally reasonable answer for a young child to offer. Where this becomes tricky, though, is that sometimes we never move past this very basic level of understanding. Yes, God made rainbows, but why? What's the purpose? How, how do rainbows fit into the larger story? Do they make a difference to us as believers? See, you can be three or 73 and still be at the same place in your walk with Christ if you don't put in the effort to nurture your faith so that it grows and matures. Jesus explained this truth to, to the large crowd that had gathered around him. He said, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some of that fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on a rock, and it grew, but it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell on thorns, and the thorns grew, and they choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. The first thing that I want you to notice about this parable is that it starts with a lot, and it ends with a few. The sower distributes lots of seeds all over the land in different places. Likewise, there are many people who hear the good news of Jesus Christ and lead completely different lives from one another. Jesus goes on to explain all of the different potential outcomes for those whose lives have been touched by the word of God. Now the parable is this, he said, the seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have heard. But then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This is a seed that doesn't even really get a chance to take root. Because no sooner do the words of God come out, evil comes along to distract and devour those words. So if you can picture the gardener tossing out the seeds. And as the seed is flying through the air, a bird comes along, swoops it up, and is gone. This group of seeds, this, this group, doesn't even really get to become disciples because they never get a chance to let the word rest in their hearts. The ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root for they believe only for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. So this is a group that starts off really, really strong. They're excited. They're on fire. This is kind of like when you join the group for the first time, when you become a member, and it's all new, and it's all wonderful, and it's all exciting. This is the group of people who, they sign up for the marathon, and they run that first quarter mile at a breakneck speed, and then give up. Because they, they like the relationship with others and the community, but they don't take the time to grow in their relationship with Christ. So they don't take time for the word to take root. Here again, I want you to think of our little ones. 
they love to plant seeds. They do this all the time. They love to plant seeds. They get excited about the dirt and, and the water, and they put that seed in the ground. And what do they do? They stare at it, right? Because they, they put it in there, and let's go. So they give it all of five minutes, and when, when it doesn't grow, <clears throat> they get disappointed that nothing is happening. On, on an adult scale, we do the same thing. We see this concept in, in the miles-wide, inches-deep church model. When, when a church only preaches the super easy things, things that people want to hear because it makes them feel good and warm and fuzzy, it sets these hearers up for great failure. Because when real life happens, they lose a job, they lose a spouse, there's a tragedy, their home gets wiped out, they're not prepared because they have no roots to provide that stability in an unstable time. Roots take time. They take time, and you need them before you can truly grow. Biologically, roots have three purposes. They take in nutrients and water from the soil, they store it for future growth, and they fix the plant to the ground. But roots don't get a ton of glory because you don't really see them. But without a solid root system, you're not going to see much of anything anyway because nothing's going to grow for very long. One of my favorite places here in Bradenton to visit, and it's, it's a super, super easy walk, so everybody can do this, is out at Perico Preserve. And if you go out to Perico, which is really the, the, the preserve trail is pretty much a circle, if you go out there and you start by hanging your first left and you go less than a quarter mile out, you will come upon a tree that at some point got halfway uprooted and has grown sideways across the trail. That's, that's the tree. And this is not a tree that got pushed around by Irma. It has been growing like this for a long, long time. All of that you see on the bottom there, those are roots that continue to grow and to continue to thrive. That tree is not a tree that is dying. But you can tell that somewhere along the way, something happened that pushed this tree around, maybe even in an attempt to knock it over completely. But the roots held. And so the tree flourishes. And so when someone joins the church as a commitment to be part of the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ in this place, we want to help them grow so that their roots are strong, so that when life pushes them around and attempts to knock them over, they have the support that they are going to need to continue to grow and thrive, which means that we want to encourage each other all throughout the week. Imagine if you were trying to grow a plant from a seed, but you only watered it once a week on Sunday morning. That growth is going to take forever, if it even happens at all. And so this is why it's important to be part of a class, to be in a discussion group, to meet one-on-one -on -one with fellow believers to study the Word and to see how it plays out in your life. But for right now, there's still some other seeds we have to talk about. As for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but they go on their way. They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of their life, and their fruit does not mature. 
To me, this is the group that is in the most deceptively precarious position. They hear the word, they, they know the word, but their lives aren't really impacted by it because they get distracted by all kinds of things. And I want to be honest here. What makes this so deceptive is, is that these distractions, they're not necessarily bad things. And so it happens in very little and very subtle ways. We, we give up Bible study to go be at a recital or a play. We push our prayer time aside to catch coffee with a friend. We read the newspaper instead of the Bible. We head to the beach instead of worship. We seek satisfaction for ourselves instead of service. Mature disciples prioritize their faith. Earlier, I was talking about age not exactly equating with maturity. A good example of this is that many college freshmen are 18 years old. And many college freshmen struggle like crazy in that first semester because they haven't matured to that place where they know how to prioritize things. And I'm not talking just about studying. Because remember, a lot of college freshmen live in dorms. And that means they have to do things like laundry and pay bills and make doctor's appointments for themselves. But it's just not a priority. And so it doesn't happen. And so they do just, just enough to, to skate by. Hopefully by the time they graduate, they've figured out some of these things. Sadly, many of them do not. And so thus, we have a maturity gap. Well, faith is the same exact way. When we don't make it a priority to follow Jesus, then our faith becomes optional. And once it becomes optional, then it becomes occasional. And once it becomes occasional, then it becomes irrelevant. But it doesn't have to be that way, says Jesus. As far as the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. Mature disciples bear fruit over time. Maturity doesn't happen overnight. It requires endurance. And endurance is an act of obedient patience. You do not expect a kindergartner to behave the same way as a fifth grader. It takes time. And because maturity takes patience and endurance, some folks walk away before they ever get going just because they're afraid to fail. Well, part of Christian maturity is learning about and embracing grace. Accepting the reality that we're never going to get it perfect all the time. But we're going to give it our best effort. I love that Jesus says that, that when they heard the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart. He doesn't say perfect. He doesn't say flawless. Because what Jesus is talking about here is an integrity of faith meaning that mature disciples are honest about who they are. And they know full well that they are not perfect, but that they can make efforts to a mature, faith-filled life. See, an honest heart can be convicted by the word of God because an honest heart already will admit that it carries sin and that it falls short. So when the word hits it, it doesn't go on the defensive. 
but instead seeks to be transformed by it. If the three-year-olds in Miss Darcy's class grow up and they never learn that there is more to it than God made rainbows, then they will not be transformed and they will not mature in their faith. But as they grow and learn about God's promises and God's faithfulness and God's covenant and God's love and forgiveness, then we pray that that seed is going to flourish in their hearts and in their lives. And over time, over time as they grow, they will bear fruit, fruit that helps them to love their neighbors and to care for creation and to forgive one another and share their gifts and talents with freedom and joy. Disciples mature by investing in their spiritual growth, prioritizing their faith, bearing fruit over time. Don't confuse growing old with growing up. The original disciples, they were in their 20s. Spiritual maturity is not measured by age. It's demonstrated by investment and prioritization and what kind of fruit your life produces. So if you're in a place where you're ready to level up your discipleship, then you want to start by growing up. Let's pray together. Gracious God, help us to land on good soil. Help us to realize that a patient endurance is what bears beautiful fruit. Help us to remember that just because we are old doesn't mean that we are mature, especially when it comes to our faith. Help us to plant seeds of wonder and awe in the lives of our little ones so that we can see your word grow and flourish in them. Help us to plant seeds in your older ones so that we can see your word bloom in them as well. In your name we pray. Amen.